0: First part of session 92, let's dip our toes here with the potentiator of the mind. Card number two of the archetypical mind. Let's begin. In the last session, we discussed a lot about the first card, the matrix of the mind, speaking of the tarot and the archetypical mind. So here we're going to go through the beginning of the session, which is usually just conversation about Carla and the fifth density negative entity that was uh, stalking them, so to speak. And then it goes into the potentiator of the mind, which is, again, card number two of the tarot when reading it for the archetypical mind or studying it for the archetypical mind. So I don't have much to refresh other than to say that uh, the matrix of mind we studied in the last session and that's important to know how the potentiator of the mind actually interacts with it and what's the dynamic between the two that generates catalyst and experience and so on. Uh, So, yeah, if you haven't, of course, go watch it or listen to it and then we'll be good for this. So let's start with the beginning of the session, which, like I said, is just maintenance questions. They used to call them. Question one, as usual, Don says, could you first please give me the condition of the instrument? And Ross says, the condition of this instrument is slightly more distorted towards weakness in each respect since the previous asking. So again, this delineates the sacrifice that was very common, of course, from the three of them, but specifically Carla, because she was the channel of the the channeling, of channeling Ra. And uh, it's interesting that she devoted herself a lot into this work to the point of um, she was giving herself, like her, her dedication to, to sacrifice, to martyrdom, as Ra used to say often, was that she didn't care if she didn't wake up at all. She was doing this because this was her biggest gift to the creator and of course the world. So, um, is this prudent? I don't know. It depends on who sees it. Uh, does it have consequences? Yes, it does. When you give yourself so much for something, then there are consequences for you. And I'm not saying that these consequences are good or bad. We usually think that, oh, sacrifice is a good thing or oh, it's a bad thing. That's subjective. That has to be, you know, with your state of mind and what you think. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just notable to see that she was sacrificing a lot of her physical and vital energies. She was playing a lot with her life, basically, to do this, and that's commendable. So, I just wanted to mention it. Her energies were slightly um, less than the last session, so that's that, important to keep in mind. question two don says is there anything or a specific cause for this and could you tell us what it is if so so what's causing this drainage of energies ross says the effective cause of the increased physical distortions have to do with the press of continued substantial levels of the distortion you call pain various vehicular or vehicular distortions uh, other than the specifically arthritic, have been accentuated by psychic greeting, and the combined effect. The combined effect has been deleterious, and they say the continued, continued slide, but noticeable losses of the vital energies is due to the necessity for the instrument to call upon this resource in order to clear the, shall we say, way for carefully purified service to others working. The use of the will in the absence of physical and in this particular case, mental and mental emotional energies requires vital energies. So again, we see a, um, a depiction of Carla's dedication to service here. Um, so the physical energy distortion was due to pain and um, other than the arthritical, Uh, conditions that she had in her joints which caused the pain of course there was also accentuation of the the psychic greeting by the fifth density negative entity that was present doing its its own work and that is of course the reduction of the capacity for this working and so it would attack if you will those those inclinations, those distortions, those mental biases that Carla had. So it would drain more energy. And then again, they say um, the loss of vital energies, which was gradual, as they were saying, <clears throat> uh, was due to the necessity for Carla, in essence, to call upon the resource of Ra. Um, to more purifies the service to others so her dedication to this to this channeling was draining her of vital energies the use of the will in the absence of physical and mental and mental emotion energies um, is interesting that they um, they differentiate these two and i like it because uh, mental could be just any mental activity But then when emotions arise then there is a combination of not just mental but physical too right so anything that is mental activity that produces uh, a sensation in the body is an emotion and so that requires uh, vital energies to be used you're dedicating in essence your desire to live is invested in this and this is why we clear up so many of our emotional reactions and uh, ourselves you know who we we make of our emotions our personality um that to me is is a limiting factor in our lives when we say i am an angry person or i'm a nostalgic person or i am this or i am that again it's identifying with the the mental processes that produce a certain emotion in you and then you identify with that uh that produces a sort of stagnation because you're not that you know that's a that's something that's happening in you so don't identify with it just uh, allow it to go some people are afraid of letting go of certain uh, qualities emotional qualities that they have because they think that that purity or that divinity that is distilled out of the emotion, will be lost. Uh, let me rephrase this. Some people think that if they change or they let go of those things that produce these emotions in them, then that beautiful thing that they admire in themselves, which is, you know, it's not a selfish thing, it's not an ego thing, it's just appreciating the beauty of uh, you know, you towards uh, life. They think that this would disappear. Not really. What will disappear is the tendency to uh, to, to be to, to use vital energies into these emotions, right? And so you can let go of that and you will see how that which is the core of what's producing, uh and it's not really producing the emotion, but is intertwined with the emotion is Part of you, but that doesn't require vital energy. Status. That is just an abundant, um, a plentiful, uh, infinite, actually source of that love, which is really what's you know what all it comes down to. All of our emotions are based on love. Um, but in any case, it's a it's a deep topic, and I just like that distinction between mental energies and mental emotional energies. Um, They both require, of course, vital energies. So um, the use of the will, in this case, her will to continue the contact uh, in the absence of physical, mental, and mental emotional energies is quite deleterious, as they said. Um, Did they say that here? They said in the past, yes, well, in, in general, of course, that, that'll drain your vital energies. And so she will have the consequences that I was talking about before. Uh, her arrangement, her mental arrangement, as it is the case for all of us in different, of course, configurations, uh, will cause that sort of uh, vital energy depletion, which is, of course, vital, as the word says it. Question three, Don says, we have been attempting to figure out how to provide the instrument with the swirling water, which we hope to do very soon. Is there any other thing that we can do to improve this situation? Swirling water seems like a jacuzzi to me or some sort of uh, powered water uh, massage. Ross says, continue in peace and harmony. Already the support group does much. There is the need for the instrument to choose the manner of its beingness. It has the distortion, as we have noted, towards the martyrdom. This can be evaluated and choices made only by the entity." Um, I love that Ra is very encouraging of, show me who you are. We can't tell you anything but, you know, what's happening. And I think that is something that I subscribe to uh, when Uh, formulating some sort of teaching or um, providing information to somebody who is requesting it is to suggest to the other person that they do the work that they make the decisions that they uh, they think about something you can only show that which is undeniably true and truth needs to be scaled down to the person Because every individual will have blockages to see the truth and those blockages need to be honored they don't they don't need to be bashed or you know forced upon you know with truth Um, it's it's a very real thing that we try to do as humans Uh, it's not a terrible attitude I think it comes from an intense desire to change somebody to want to transform somebody but when you are providing information to somebody else it's important to honor their blockages and to respect their process, um, and I think Rod does this here, and they—they're actually very clear to it, and they say, you know, uh, uh, there is the need. First of all, they're doing everything that they can. That's a very important point to maintain here, as we talk about the history of LNL research or this trio of Don, Carla, and Jim. They were doing everything. They were fully dedicated to this, and it's almost like they lived for nothing else but this contact. And they did everything. You know, continue in peace and harmony. That's the best advice they could give. Continue. They didn't say, you know, go return to the peace and harmony. No, continue with that peace and harmony that you have. And they already do a lot. But then they add, you know, there is the need for the instrument for Carla to choose the matter of its beingness. What does that mean to choose the manner of your beingness? Well, you have to be completely decided to who you are. You know, if you are described this in that way, then you know that's who you are. If you wish to change or to wish, if you wish to just um, let go of things and see what comes up, then that's also true for you. Anything goes. Um, so you have to choose. Who are you? What is informing your reality? You choose that. Then Ross says, we have noticed basically that she is uh, inclined towards martyrdom. Well, this can be evaluated and choices made only by Carla. You have to evaluate those tendencies that you have. You see, while I say that you shouldn't identify with your personality, I believe it is important to identify our inclinations. That is not to say identify with our inclinations or biases, but rather to identify our tendencies, our biases, our inclinations, our preferences. What is it that this body-mind wants? What is it that it's, uh, it's craving for? Identify those things, don't identify with them but identify them so you can make choices and say well i'm not uh, at all interested anymore in this preference Um, i wish to change it and so that's the beginning you know of a transformation you have to be conscious aware of what's, what's going on with you let's move on Question four, Don says, what is the present situation with the fifth density negative visitor we have? And there is an inaudible part to this, Um, but basically asking, what's going on with the fifth density negative entity? Ra answers, it is with this group, so it's with them. Don follows up and says, what prompted its return? Ra says, the promptings were duple. There was the recovery of much negative polarity upon the part of your friend of 5th density and at the same approximate nexus of uh, a temporary lessening of the positive harmony of this group. Very important here, so uh, we're looking at the dynamics of the universe. Because everything needs to be balanced out, of course, Um, we can see here that whatever is a negative tendency in the universe will continue that uh, until a certain point. You know, it it can't reach uh, maximum negativity. Um, Just like we can't reach maximum positivity, there needs to be a balance between the two, and that is sixth density in which everything is appreciated as one. both polarities and so we merge however it is true and i will say this because i usually get the question of so if we polarize positively and then in sixth density there is no more positivity then why do we say that god or intelligent infinity is positive Uh, we need more refinement here because intelligent infinity is not positive nor negative because there is no negativity right there is no positivity anymore Uh, however from our perspective from our vantage point we're looking at what's the right path and so is it separation it's not that is false you can follow it you can see where it leads you but it's gonna lead you to the resolution that negativity or separation is not real unity is the only real thing right so that is the positive path So, in contrast with the possibility of going through a path of deception, we see it positive. But once we have passed the threshold of the possibility of identifying with the falsehood, then there is no more need for these concepts. Polarities are uh, dissolved. Uh, If you think this is something that awaits you in the future, uh, you are wrong, my friend. This is not awaiting you in the future. Sixth density is not the future. Sixth density is now. You can see this now. You can investigate into your nature and see this to be true. Uh, you don't need to wait for the, um, the culmination of third density and fourth and fifth to see this. Uh, it's now. You can see it. That's the non-dual view of reality and that's what Ra basically claims the law of one. It's the same thing. Only oneness exists, and you can realize this now, here, in the present moment. So, alright, enough deviation. Um, so, the fifth density negative is—it's um, back with them because it regained its polarity, and then there is, of course, a something was happening between the three of them that lessen the positive harmony of them. We don't know what that was. Question six, Don says, is there anything that we can do about the instrument's stomach problem or constipation? So yet another issue in Carla's body. ross says, the healing modes of which each is capable are already in use. So not much to say here, uh, but to mention that once again, they were doing everything. The healing modes of which each is capable is ready in use. So they were doing, once again, everything that they could, and that's fine. Sometimes it is important just to sit with your illness, uh, you know. Um, imagine, I don't know, you have a headache, and all you can do is uh, stop uh, working or doing whatever you do, and you take some pills maybe. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You take a couple of pills. Uh, well, the headache doesn't go away. Maybe it lessens it a little bit. Um, and you continue doing activities and maybe you uh, settle down and you just relax and the headache is still there. Well, you have done everything you could. just don't stress it anymore because that may only exacerbate things. So just sit with the pain. You know you did everything you could and that's it. you know uh, Engulf the pain with your awareness. See that's, that's it. That's the harmony. That's the highest harmony you can summon you know to, to the present moment. Awareness, pure awareness. So we move to, I think the first full question here for the archetypical mind, question seven. Don says, in the last session, we discussed the first tarot card of the Egyptian type. Are there any distortions in the cards we have, which we will publish in the book if possible, that Ra did not originally intend, with the exception of the star, which we know is a distortion, or any additions that Ra did intend in this particular tarot. So, uh, are there any more distortions in, in the card? In This is card one, by the way, the matrix of mine. Ra says, the distortions remaining after the removal of, of astrological material are those having to do with the mythos of the culture to which Ra offered this teach-learning tool. This is why we have suggested approaching the images, looking for the heart of the image, rather than being involved overmuch by the customs and creatures of a culture not familiar to your present incarnation. We have no wish to add to any already distorted group of images, feeling that although distortion is inevitable, There is the least amount which can be procured in the present arrangement. So I like to give a little slant, a different slant to something I said in the last session about mythological uh, use for knowledge, for understanding. We have a false assumption that knowledge is... um, you see, we think that epistemology is derived from um, acquiring things outside and sort of um, filling up this hard drive. You know, we are we are a hard drive, blank hard drive when we're born. You know, and just it gets added information to it. That's how we see it. This is at best uh, a misconception if not totally wrong. Uh, Knowledge is knowing. It's simple. Knowledge is knowing. It is not conceptual knowledge. It's simple knowing. The more you know, meaning not conceptual knowledge, but experience uh, known, then the more knowledge you have, the more wisdom you have. It's an inherent wisdom. Um, So, when learning this, it's important to keep it at the minimum. Yes, we have to use tools. We have to use uh, maybe books, maybe images, maybe um, some, uh, some sort of uh, verbal iteration. doesn't matter how it is. Or, you know, uh, like the Buddha's uh, white flower sermon where he just, you know, sat there looking at a flower, a white flower. You know, that's a teaching. It's a huge teaching there. And that's where it's supposed to have originated Zen, which not really, we just say, oh, the Buddha was using a Zen technique before Zen even existed. which is just a play of words, of course. Zen has existed since the dawn of humankind or human beings. In any case, we have methods, we have uh, structures in which we can learn. We can use them, uh, but we don't get lost with the tools, is, in essence, what Ra is saying here, and which I mentioned in the last uh, session, because this is the uh, the confusion that arises from believing or learning specific things through the structure that we're learning. Um, It's better to go into the heart of what it's teaching and that's what Ra is saying here. So uh, it's not just the star that was astrological. Um, I feel that Ra mentioned this because there wasn't much to the archetypical mind that the star would suggest. I think you can go on and on and depict in many ways, or many things can be depicted out of an archetype, because you can describe it in so many ways, you know, I can put up a screen there, you know, I can put up a, I don't know, a, a joystick now. These are things of our culture. See, I'm thinking about technology now, we're, we're all thinking about technology, so we use technology as a reference. Does that mean that we are the screen and we get, uh, you know, along with the analogy of the screen so f- much that we get lost with it? No. So we use them as a reference, you know. Um, they are a sort of, uh, you know, a cane to help us move, but it's not the leg itself. So, once again, forget about the mythos. Uh, go to the heart of what it's it's supposed to mean so yeah customs creatures all of that it's part of a culture that no longer describes ourselves and it's amazing that they don't want to add anything else of course please don't add anything else just let's use whatever's there minimalistic and just as a bridge to the true understanding of what we're talking about moving on Question eight, Don says, then you are saying that the cards that we have here are the best available cards in our present illusion at this date. Ra says, your statement is correct in that we consider the so-called Egyptian tarot the most undistorted version of the images which Ra offered. This is not to intimate that other systems may not in their own way form unhelpful architecture for the adepts consideration of the archetypical mind, which, again, um, if we're going to talk about um, um, flesh and bones of, um, or should I say, the the sinew and bones of the archetypical mind, then yes, the Egyptian tarot is the most undistorted version of the teaching that Ra gave. clearly because later on we added more distortions now are these distortions unhelpful not really they are just more ways to describe the archetypical mind and the archetypes per se um, standalone archetypes as it were and so we we depict many things in them Um, they can be helpful for certain people uh, i suppose and uh, that's something to keep in mind. You know, A lot of people have learned about the archetypical mind not only through the tarot, but through other systems. So are they helpful? Of course they are. Are they different from what Ra teach back then or taught? Um, of course. So to answer Don's question, yes. It is the most undistorted version of Ra's tarot, let's say. Uh, but the other ones are, are helpful too. So keep that in mind as well. Next question, question nine. Don says, I would like to attempt an analogy of the first archetype in that when a baby is first born and enters this density of experience, I am assuming then that the matrix is new and undistorted, veiled from the potentiator and ready for that which is to be experienced, the incarnation. Is this correct? Ra says, yes. This is a fantastic analogy to understand so many things. I could possibly go on with this uh, analogy for a good half hour, I would think. Um, But okay, the matrix, what is the matrix? Let's take the example of a baby. A baby sees or depicts a matrix, right? Um, We see it as having no biases, no knowledge yet. The matrix is unpotentiated, right? That's not that what Ross, uh, what Don said. It's ready. It's veiled from the potentiator and ready for that which is to be experienced. That doesn't mean that, of course, the baby has no potentiator. Oh, believe me, it does. <laughs> um, but that potentiator is yet to be, uh, to be reached, um, to be touched upon by the matrix. So this is important because we see that the matrix that the baby has is the same matrix that we have, only that our matrix has been potentiated so many times that it's almost like automatic. You know, we have created so many um, uh, what do you call them? Uh, mental formations, yes, thought patterns, uh, thought forms. And so yeah, it may be filled with that, and that's what meditation is—is is going back into the the clearing of this. And Ross suggested this, in fact, you know, that that state of the um, the conscious mind, unpotentiated, is akin to uh, crystal crystallization. It's the baby's mind. And so we have that. We don't. We didn't lose that. You know, our innocence has never been lost. You know, as they like to say, uh, our innocence is never lost. It's just clouded. You See, it's the innocence of God that wants to to be here. And that has to do with beingness. Beingness is not a biased thing. Beingness is. We get confused ourselves, and we bias a certain. Uh, personality, which we call the separate self. And it's just a bunch of, you know, um, assumptions, beliefs. They're not real, but we live by those beliefs. You can see when those beliefs are broken, the person is liberated. Uh, And, you know, this doesn't have to be on a spiritual path. It could be anybody, you know. Uh, Some people are liberated by just... um, Breaking the belief in, uh, let's say, God, you know, as a sort of a higher being that is there watching them all the time, and you know, the loss of that belief is just a great maturity that, that that blossoms, you know, in the person. So, yeah, if if we we can just get in touch again with that that innocent part of us it's always been there and it's not a regression you know it's not like you're regressing to the child's mentality which is uh, uninformed see it's not mature we have a maturity already in us then that maturity will shine through this innocence because it has always been there Um, so we kind of need a balance between the two between that which is the unknown the truth of us, and then that which is known to us, which is whatever little knowledge we have, and so a sort of you know humble approach to life is achieved and gradually expanded. Not not just achieved, but gradually expanded. So okay, um, much more to say there. Yes, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's I can. I can do one or two, or two. <laughs> uh, the matrix of the mind being depicted as the mind's baby or the baby's mind. Um, it's, um, it's a beautiful one. Question 10, Don says, I would read several statements here and ask for Ross comments on the statement. First, until an entity becomes consciously aware of the evolutionary process The logos or intelligent energy creates the potentials for an entity to gain the experience necessary for polarization. Would Ra comment on that? Ra says, this is so. We have talked about this, and this is deviating a little bit from the archetypical mind because this has, um, I'm not gonna say anything to do, but uh, it's not directly related to the archetypical mind, but rather is the, process of pre-incarnative programming. So what happens? Just as a refresher, because I think this will come up again in the next questions. There is the entity. And the entity has a sort of uh, evolutionary process. If it's a new entity, it has very little evolutionary um, experience. It hasn't activated much of its energy centers, if anything at all. And then there is the evolved entity, which is a lot more permeable to the influxes, let's say, of the spirits. So, before there is a certain threshold, which Ra called the activation of the Heart Chakra, before that threshold, there is a sort of um, automatic uh, feeding of catalyst to the entity, just like animals in nature have, right? Can we say that somebody is programming their catalyst? No, it's just the movements, the movements of intelligent energy, as they are, or as it is, for the animals. And so they encounter just Logoic catalyst which is just the movements of nature coming from that point then new third density entities humans who have just started their evolutionary process first incarnation maybe first 20 incarnations who knows how long it takes for somebody to activate the heart could take them a 100 incarnations i don't know the point is that there is um, a threshold in which the entity will open the heart and say, wow, I am not this limited being. I am actually something else. I don't understand it, but it is beyond mind and body. And so spirit is being channeled through. Ah, great, fantastic, it's willingly now, the entity is knowledgeable of this. So when it dies, pre-incarnatively, it programs itself because it is now able to see itself it's almost like God opened its eye through the heart you see whereas before it was dormant it was the same God you know no nothing different and there was nobody else programming it but its own subconscious let's say the the logoic subconscious um, information or intelligence was programming its own catalyst until it opens its eye and says I am and once through this I am. it can never close its eyes again, at least not in time-space where this programming happens. When it comes here though, then the veil of forgetting, of course, uh, makes us uh, asleep again. So we need to wake up, if you will, a second time. Uh, but the heart is already open. The heart is already awake. So that's, um, that's what Don is talking about here. This is old. Uh, I think he was just uh, asking this for part of her, of his, um, his sequence of questions that he's going to ask, right? So I think he was just making sure, because we know this. Until an entity becomes consciously aware of the evolutionary process, the Logos or intelligent energy creates the potentials, see, it potentiates an entity to gain experience necessary for polarization. What is that polarization for? Activating the heart. It's not for graduation, but it's activating the heart chakra, which means, yeah, you begin to work now consciously towards graduation, towards harvestability. Don't confuse the two. Polarization is not an indication of graduation or harvestability, uh, but it is the means in which uh, graduation happens because you polarize. So let's say polarization happens until heart activation, and then heart activation propels it beyond 51%, if you remember the numbers. But okay, let's see what else uh, Don says. Question 11, Don says, then this occurs because the potentiator of the mind is directly connected through the roots of the tree of mind to the archetypical mind and to the logos which created it. And because the veil between the matrix and potentiator of the mind allows for the development of the will, would Ra comment, uh, this sounds strange (laughs) to me, Ra says, some untangling may be needed as the mind-body-spirit complex, which has not yet reached the point of the conscious awareness of the process of evolution prepares for incarnation. It has programmed, programmed for it a less than complete, that is to say, a partially randomized system of learnings. The amount of randomness of potential catalysts is proportional to the newness of the mind-body-spirit complex to third density. So this adds another layer of um, fascinating um, understanding of this system. So yeah, this paragraph adds definitely another layer to, to this Understanding of how the entity evolves through the incarnations. So once again, see how I talked about the new entity and then the veteran or the uh, the evolved entity. Depending on that spectrum, then a series of randomized catalysts will be programmed. Um, which kind of makes sense. At the beginning it was 100% random catalyst, which again is not. Uh, it's random from our perspective, but is completely harmony or harmonized by the logos. Intelligent energy is harmony. It's not, you know, inharmonious. So we're working with what seems to be random to the awaken to the awakened entity. But then at some point, that will be a, I'm just gonna call it a percentage just for visualization, but um, yeah, that would become a percentage will be random and the other um, percentage will be uh, program, right? Let's reread it again. As the mind-body-spirit complex, which has not yet reached the point of conscious awareness of the process of evolution prepares for incarnation. It has programmed for it a less than complete, so um, a partially randomized system of learnings. So this entity must have passed the threshold, right? But it's not fully aware of the process of evolution. That's interesting. Uh, for any entity to program in its incarnation, whether that be randomized or not, uh, it needs to have reached that level of activation of the heart. So, I guess it depends on how much of, of that activation. So, for example, a wanderer can fully program its, um, its incarnation because it's, it's past, way past that point. Whereas um, an entity who is just barely grasping the lessons of love and understanding heart chakra uh, they may need to rely a lot on randomized catalysts. That's pretty cool. I like it. So the amount of randomness of potential catalyst is proportional to the newness of the mind-body-spirit complex to their density. Yeah, that makes sense. It is less and less uh, random the more evolved uh, or veteran or more you know, um, a season, let's say, the entity is. Very interesting. I never thought about it this way. Ra continues and says, this then becomes a portion of that which you may call a potential for incarnation or incarnational experience. This is indeed carried within that portion of the mind, which is of the deep mind the architecture of which may be envisioned as being represented by the concept complex known as the potentiator." So here's where we see the archetypical mind um, working or in place. Uh, all the catalyst and experience that is programmed programmed—it's uh, independent from the archetypical mind, of course. The archetypical mind is just the, uh, the structure in which this is going to play out, right? how it's going to filter through experience and third density in this particular planet uh, and be seen by the entity, the entity which is God, God itself. How is it going to perceive it? Is it going to perceive it very random or is it going to perceive it as very, you know, me, myself, I've been doing this. You know, I am responsible for everything. Um, See, the perspective is the only thing that changes. Awareness never changes. Awareness is always constant because awareness equals God. God is aware. Only one being can be aware in creation. And that is the one creator. So, okay. This then becomes a portion of which you call a potential for incarnational experience. That amalgamation of uh, let's say, program experience, or that which wants to be experienced goes part of potential. It's potential, it doesn't mean that it's going to execute, but it's going to be um, very latent, uh, waiting for it, right? So this is indeed carried within that portion of the mind, which is of the deep mind, right? We're talking about now the architecture of the mind. Uh, the roots of the mind, the tree of mind. The architecture, ac- architecture of which may be envisioned as being represented by that concept complex known as the potentiator. Beautiful. So, again, the potentiator being the unconscious mind, that is the, uh, the structure, the architecture of the mind itself as it goes deep into uh, all the different layers of mind, uh, planetary, racial... Uh, individual of course, being first, uh, unconscious mind, and so on all the way to intelligent infinity. So, okay, that's, um, that's a potentiator, that's the unconscious mind. And then Ra gives a sort of clarification here. They say it is not in the archetypical mind of an entity that the potential for incarnational experience resides but in the mind-body-spirit complex's insertion, shall we say, into the energy web of the physical vehicle and the chosen planetary environment. However, to more deeply articulate this portion of the mind-body-spirit complex's beingness, this archetype, the potentiator of the mind, may be evoked with profit to the student of its own evolution. So this sounds very complicated, but it's not. Um, Ra is just differentiating that it is not in the archetypical mind of an entity, right? It's not in the... uh, We all have the same archetypical mind, all of us. Isn't that strange that we all behave differently, and yet we have the same archetypical mind? So when we see relatedness, we say it's like, oh, yes, of course. You know, I relate to your situation because I've had similar situations why are they similar because there are archetypes there are structures in which we go through and so we say ah yes you know i i can totally relate to that uh, whereas if we talk about you know our experience with somebody else in another planet they may say we may have some relatedness because we all have absolutely all of us have a significant uh significator matrix and potentiator but they may not have catalyst and experience and so You know, that they may just not relate to us, they may may be different. Um, But we humans can relate to each other completely because of this. However, that which makes up ourselves is not the archetypical mind. You see, it's very tricky, you know, to talk about this, uh, but I'm sure you can see it. Don't confuse the blueprint with the structure. Um, Okay, so... It's not the archetypical mind of an entity that the potential of incarnational experience resides, but in the mind-body-spirit complex's insertion uh, into the planet, basically, the energy web uh, of the physical vehicle and the chosen planetary environment. So this is another thing. Yes. You remember when we talked about uh, the programming of the physical vehicle? um for example, you may program certain limitations or enhancements to your body for a specific experience. And this is actually very interesting. Uh, too bad that we can't m- marry it with so many uh, genetic studies where we get into, oh, you know, is there the is there a gene for sports? Is there a gene for music? Is there a gene for... We may be missing the point by only looking at it physical structure because there is a music being played you know within us a vibration a harmonious vibration that is the expression of us you see and so that may definitely interact with the dna and gene structure of our beingness and so suddenly you know there is a sort of talent that is uh, is appreciated in the individual so my suggestion here is that That is the energy web of the physical vehicle, you see. So the interaction between this potential for experience that is programmed prior to incarnation is sort of merged with the vibration of the chosen vibration of the physical vehicle, which is a mind, body, spirit complex. It's not just it's just not the physical, chemical, you know, uh, tangible vehicle that we see here it's everything mind body spirit complex so that um, that doesn't necessary, necessarily necessarily um, will guarantee that the individual will you know be uh, it's his best version of it you see we see that we say this a lot become the best version of yourself well that best version of yourself is allowing that which is you. You know, <laughs> it's that simple. You don't have to push anything. You just need to allow, you need to stop um, repressing yourself. is basically this. And so this flows through um, and that is the activation, you know, of the potential of yourself. And the chosen planetary planetary environment is also, I guess, important. Um, I'm thinking two things here with planetary environment. One, planet Earth, in general, is an environment, right? That's a an energy web that we all are under the influence. But it could be also the environment of the specific planet, like your culture, your climate, your um, uh, the country in which you live, independent of culture or the state in which you live, the family in which you live. All of that may have an influence, right? But it's important to know that every single aspect of your life has been programmed uh, not to happen, but just to, let me rephrase that. Every single aspect of your life has been in the direction of the program which was for you to express yourself in um, the utmost um, possible way. What I'm saying is that your life has been always going into the direction of peace, beauty, harmony, joy, um, ecstatic being, it's always been going there and everything that has happened to you has been in that direction. This is why anybody who looks back, and you can do this exercise, you can look back at your life and say, wow, everything that has happened is for me to be here right now and what is it that I most desire in my life? Regardless of whatever objective thought form may come up in your mind as an answer for that, the underlying non-objective uh, reason is joy, love, happiness, peace, sharing, appreciation, gratitude. You know, all of this mixed together is the bliss of existence. So everything that you have been through up to this point has been in this direction, and you can appreciate that now. So that's why Ross says, um, to more deeply articulate this portion of the mind-body-spirit complex beingness, okay, the archetype, <laughs> the potentiator of the mind maybe evoke would profit to the student of its own evolution. I don't need to say anything else here. That's exactly what I've been saying. The potential of the mind, which is that which lies dormant in you and wants to just express itself, may be evoked would profit to you, the student of of your own evolution." Beautiful. Let's move to the next question. Don says in question 12, then are you saying that the source of pre-incarnative program catalyst is the potentiator of mind? no, no, they say, we are suggesting that the potentiator of the mind is an archetype which may aid the adept in grasping the nature of this pre-incarnative and continually incarnative series of choices. Ah, the potentiator of the mind is that which facilitates to the entity that which is potential for him or her. There is a subtle distinction there, Um, and it can be appreciated if you allow yourself to be. I think that's the best way I can suggest the work of the Potentiator. Just allow yourself to be. Stop getting in your own way. Allow. Accept. Isn't that what we say? When working with the unconscious mind, accept that which is, accept everything. That would clear up any blockages and it will crystallize your being in a nutshell. Just acceptance, acceptance of what is. Your mind, your environment, your past, and whatever it is that is right now, especially what is right now. So, um, Again, Don's question is a little bit uh, deviated by saying that uh, the source of pre incarnative program catalyst is the potentiator of the mind. That's not true. The potentiator of mind, of mind is that which facilitates, I would say, the programming, the information, the, um, uh, the data that is coming through with the direction, like I said, of always bringing bliss attracting bliss to your life giving and receiving bliss i think i'm going to cover a couple more questions and we will maybe just one more this one the upcoming one is wow this wow question is question 13. don says thank you third just as free will taps intelligent infinity which yields intelligent energy which then focuses and creates the densities of this octave of experience the potentiator of mind utilizes its connection with intelligent energy and taps or potentiates the matrix of mind which yields catalyst of the mind is this correct um yeah <laughs> let me not say anything and Ra would say this is thoughtful but confused The matrix of the mind is that which reaches, just as the kinetic phase of intelligent infinity, through free will, reaches for the Logos. Or, in the case of the mind-body-spirit complex, the sub-sub-Logos, which is the free will-potentiated beingness of the body or the mind-body-spirit complex. To intelligent infinity, love and all that follows from that Logos to the matrix, or shall we say, the conscious, awaiting self of each entity, the self or the love or of the love, my God, <laughs> the love or the sub-sub-logos spinning through free will, all those things which may enrich the experience of the creator by the creator. Um, I want to read something that is noted in the raw context, and this is by the LLL Research guys. They say much debate has been waged upon the question of how to punctuate this tangle of a reply. This particular punctuation is one among other possible subjective interpretations of what Ra intended to say. So, yes, um, you could see that there are dashes and there are parentheses and there are uh, semicolons and uh, commas and dots and all kinds of things here because, wow, try reading this without any punctuation (laughs) and figure out what's happening. Uh, I'm gonna give it my best here I gotta be honest, otherwise I'll spend too much time trying to create different interpretations and I'll just go with whatever comes right now. Don's question, let's start with Don's question. Uh, He said that Let's go bit by bit so we can draw a good map here, uh, or at least a diagram of what's happening. Let's start with intelligent infinity, okay? Intelligent infinity is. There's nothing to say about intelligent infinity, just is. It's infinite and is intelligent, meaning that it's alive. It's not just some inert infinity. It's living, itself, self, self, infinite self, is. That's it. Infinite self is, you can see that in you. I am, and there is no limits to myself, other than perception. Perception is the limit. But imagination is limitless, or the potential for imagination. I don't need to hammer this point too much. (laughs) All right, so what happens? Free will, the capacity for me to direct my attention anywhere, will tap into this intelligent infinity. I'm tapping into myself. That is free will. Free will is the first distortion, fantastic. This yields intelligent energy, which is simply uh, the clay which we're going to use to form. We can call it mind. Intelligent energy is mind, uh, poten- potential mind, okay? Just see it as that. It's still intelligent infinity, but we call it intelligent energy now because it can move. Intelligent infinity doesn't move in and of itself. It needs to want to move, and that's intelligent energy. Ah, then this focuses, that's love, and creates the densities of this octave, that's love and light, boom, creation, it's done. You wanna do it in your mind? Follow me. Try to see and sense the background of all your thoughts. Can you see any limits there? No, okay, that's intelligent infinity, period. There is no limitation, it's infinite. And you know it's intelligent because it's you. You're seeing it, you're alive, you're being. Perfect. Now, move yourself in your imagination. Have thoughts, have images, all these kinds of things, right? Where are they appearing? In space, in the space that you call you. That's space, right? And so space is where everything appears. And that's you. Don't forget it. That space allows things to happen. And so because they're happening in a supposedly sequence we call it time space and time that's it you're you are the matrix you are the womb of space and time can you feel it good so that is what's happening here your own desire your own free will with love focuses on what it wants to see you know and that's that's creation now, the potentiator of mind, uh, Don is saying, utilizes its connection with intelligent energy. And I think this is where it gets a little bit muddied, but it's, it's fine. You know, Yes, the potentiator of mind uh, utilizes its connection with intelligent energy and taps or potentiates the matrix of the mind. Yeah, the correction here is that it's not the potentiator, but the matrix that does this, at least in the diagram that we see here. And that yields catalyst of the mind, Uh, yes and no. That interaction yields catalyst, but it's not uh, potentiator to matrix. That's why Ross says the first thing, the matrix of the mind is that which reaches, right? So the matrix of the mind, just so you know, the matrix of the mind is that which reaches to potentiator, to potentiate itself. And they say, just as the kinetic kinetic phase of intelligent infinity, which is intelligent energy, through free will, which is exactly what Don said, reaches for the logos, right? It reaches to the particular logos, which is manifesting itself from, in this case, our sun. Or in the case of the mind-body-spirit complex, the sub-sub logos, Uh, in this case now, they're talking about a different, Uh, holographic (laughs) iteration of the same thing okay Uh, this can get complicated but no the sub sub logos is the higher self right I love that I love the sub sub logos of the mind-body-spirit complex is the higher self I'm adding this in so um, they didn't say it that is the free will potentiated beingness of the mind-body spirit complex Free will, potentiated beingness is higher self. The higher self is the one that wants to express here. Everybody is enacting their own higher self. The personality, the deep personality of everybody, not the egoic personality, but the, the real one, the one that laughs, you know, the one that loves, the one that um, shares, the ones that the one that sacrifices itself, that's higher self. In each and every one of us. So um, that is the one that, just like the the mind-body-spirit complex, uh, reaches into this higher self. You know, this is work with higher self. But then this finishes, right? Uh, reaches to intelligent infinity, okay. Um, love and all that follows from that logos. Uh, It reaches that, the same, um, the matrix of the mind is that which reaches to intelligent infinity, love and all that follows from that logos. I'm just going to go with this punctuation because I know that there is a different one and I won't even talk about that. Uh, But in this one, we're talking about the matrix of the mind reaches to intelligent infinity, love and all that follows from that logos. So uh, the matrix of the mind is always going to reach to intelligent infinity, uh, love and that which follows from the Logos. To the matrix or the conscious waiting self of each entity, which is that part that we describe ourselves as um, the screen in which everything is is appearing. The love or the sub-sub Logos spinning through free will. All those things which may enrich the experience of the Creator by the Creator. Um, Yeah, to the, uh, th- this last part is tricky. To the matrix, the conscious waiting self. Let's go bit by bit. To the matrix, or shall we say, the conscious waiting self of each entity. Okay. <laughs> they call it the, the waiting self of each entity. Why is it a waiting self? Remember when we talked about the matrix of the mind being um, just completely... Crystal clear, like it has no—it's uh, it, nothing without potentiation. It's nothing without the intention, the the, the drive, the impetus of uh, of the significator, I would say. That awaiting matrix, uh, the love or the sub sub logos spinning through free wheel is, I guess, what reaches it. All those things which may enrich the experience of yourself. Let, let me just call it that so yeah again this can be um, interpreted in many ways so i won't i'll just leave it at this this whole thing can be summarized to me as to say that there is an interaction between uh, the desire for experience and that which is available right so if we Get along with this dynamic of the desire for experience. And which, which type of experience do you want? Well, go inside and see what is it that you really want. The deeper you go, the more you get used to, oh, this is what life wants through me. You see, I love the explanation that um, we are not human beings, individual human beings. We are what nature is wanting to do. Like if you see a squirrel out here, a chipmunk. I have a lot of chipmunks where I live. Is it really an individual moving or is it nature moving through the individual? Right? We can describe it as what is nature doing through the chipmunk? Well, the same thing. What is nature doing here? What does it want to do? I can tap into that desire and say, oh. Yes, it wants to do this. It wants to dance. It wants to talk. It wants to uh, sing. It wants to paint. It wants to explain, or it wants to study. It wants to whatever it is. What is it that it really wants? Um, and it's not just the main activity is. What does it enjoy? What is it that enjoys you know, out of this activity? Then that is to me this whole dynamic. You see, because there is a matrix of mind and it's looking for potentiation. Call it intelligent infinity that you're touching or tapping into. Call it intelligent energy that is moving or just simply uh, experience. And you as the conscious being are that matrix or that uh, masculine principle, right? Which is uh, the stillness, the North Pole, the conscious awareness. Everything that is attracted to is experience. So I'm gonna leave it at that. There's one more paragraph in this answer and I think we're gonna call it, uh, we're gonna wrap it up. Ross says, it is indeed so that the biases of the potentials of a mind-body-spirit complex cause the catalyst of this entity to be unique and to form a coherent pattern that resembles the dance full of movement forming a many figure tapestry of motion. Wow, that's a beautiful way to end it for sure. Um, so it is the biases of the potentials of a mind-body-spirit complex. Your biases, your inclinations, that which I'm referring to, go into that, go into whatever it is that you feel that you want to do. Right? There is an urge, there is a, a desire, there is a passion in you that wants to do something Get in touch with that. You see, those are the biases. You can see it as potentials. Why? Because you haven't been doing it. Because you want it. Because you envision it. And you see it and it's beautiful. You know, and it's great. And it's uh, changing the world. And it's changing you. And it's changing other people. And it's just painting this universe with your own colors, shall I say. That. Get in touch with that. And that dynamic of you the, uh, the waiting self that Ra said, that matrix that you are enacting here, that archetype is touching, is playing, is dancing with, then that particular uh, bias that you have, which is just your passion, let's call it that, what you're passionate about, you know those potentials, those are the ones that are going to create this dance full of movement, forming a many figure tapestry of motion. Ah beautiful, I love it. So yeah, that is the best I can possibly talk about this. Um, I don't have anything but conclusions. this was this this question thirteen again, um, I think it summarizes very well the the work between. Uh, matrix and potentiator and I'm gonna conclude it at this as I talked about this dynamic is the dynamic of you being able to uh, touch with that intimate so intimate part of you that only you can know only you can experience and it's a waiting to be expressed out Um, it requires no preparation it requires no study, nothing but the allowance, the acceptance of what is. Uh, and I'll give you an example of this as I have seen it. Um, I've seen it with myself in what I do, which is this, teaching and uh, talking and expressing my own thoughts. But also I think it's a lot more clear in people who create arts because art we all appreciate, music, paintings sculptures and so on somebody who is very repressed and maybe likes to play with you know with play-doh you know that person feels maybe um i'm 30 years old and i like playing with play-doh that that play-doh that's um um that's children's stuff why why are you having those thoughts you know if we help this person out and say no please you know go we encourage you to keep playing and making things and that's valuable you know can I buy that you know that's awesome can you do more of this can I you know uh, uh, order so much of this and then and, you know this person starts playing with it and suddenly you know it says no I can do more things I can do it with clay and I can do it with you know this and that and so on that they needed no training they just needed the experience of allowing that to be that's what they wanted to do apply this to musicians or to you know writers or um, you know um, anybody who likes to create things or do things for others and help others you know i don't know if i should help people because they're gonna think that i am this and i have uh, an inferiority complex because i don't feel that i'm enough and so on well, all of this is what needs to be clear out. That's the healing process. And so what comes out is this. So you see, it's not something that you need to learn. It's something that you need to allow to um, to respect, to honor, to love of yourself, to accept of yourself. That's how I would put it. And that is the interaction to me between matrix and uh, potentiator. It's the reason why, of course, these archetypes needed to exist in the past, before the veil, because they were necessary. There is a matrix, which is what I'm experiencing. And then there is the potentiation of that which I want to experience, right? And that which is constantly changing due to the experience of this dynamic, I call Significator. And we'll talk about the Significator in part two of this session. But with that, I'm gonna leave it here. Thank you so much, as usual, for watching. Um, Like I've been saying lately, if you want to support what I do here, very easy, go to Patreon, it's the best way you can do it. And links are always in the description, I appreciate that. Um, I have nothing else to say but to invite you for part two. This is possibly going to be a three-part session again, as we dive deeper and deeper into the Uh, potentiator of the mind but that's all we have for now until next time take care good day good night wherever you are and i'll see you in part two of session 92.